Oh, what a God we worship. He's alive. He's living today, not only continuing to intercede for us. Jesus is in the presence of the, of the Father sitting at his right hand, affirming that we're forgiving, forgiven and we're cleansed. He's waiting for the Father's command to return, to be with his church forever and ever. And meanwhile, he's given us his Holy Spirit uh, to live with us, to have his dwelling with us. And we've got much to give praise to God for. And a lot of reason to celebrate. I, I'm looking forward to Easter. We're like a month away. Uh, April 17th is Easter Sunday. Hopefully you've got that on your calendars. I've found that around the Easter season, people are a bit more open to an invitation to join for worship. And so I, I just want to encourage you to begin now to pray and uh, seek God's heart on uh, maybe who you can invite, whether it's family or neighbors or friends from work, to invite you to this time of, of celebration. And, and maybe even be thinking about whether you have been investing into those relationships in an authentic way. Sometimes we as Christians can get into this thought that people are projects, and so we don't really care for them until it's time to invite them to something. We just want to say, no, people are made in the image of God, all of them deserving of love and kindness, regardless of whether they accept an invitation or not. So we want to continue to equip you as, as believers in Jesus to invest God's love into people. In fact, we've, we've established a, a part of our website to give some guidance in that, in our Easter, um, our Easter promotional uh, aspect of our website. So, and, and we put an insert in your bulletin that gives a, a, a place where you can go and get some ideas of how do I, how do I invest into those people that God wants me uh, to invest into. So check that out. Well, Luke chapter 5, encourage you to turn there if you would, please. As we start a new study this morning out of the book of Luke, pressing into the number of scenes where Jesus is recorded as spending time at a meal with people. So let me start with this question. Maybe you've had this question as an icebreaker uh, before at work settings or family settings or whatever. If you could do dinner with any four people, living or dead, who would those people be? <laughs> and some of you think, you can't. Aww. <laughs> Was that, was that my son-in-law? <laughs> Who was that? Who was it? Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. He'd make me buy. Yeah, you know him. You know him. <laughs> Some of you would say, well, I can't, so I'm not even going to spend time with the question. All right, fine. You don't, you don't have to. Um, but who, who, would, who would you, if you did, who would you think of, you know? And let me get some points, like Eric got points. I, first, I would, I would invite my wife, right? Because it's always better when Nancy is with me. So that's one. Yep, yep. Points for me. And then, and then who, do you, who do you invite? Somebody from the Bible? Some Bible characters that you've been intrigued with? Wouldn't that be incredible to spend a meal with them, to hear stories? Maybe someone from history, former presidents, um, prime ministers, people of history, generals, um, 
maybe some famous people, maybe some people in your field of interest that you just always would love to pick their brain? Well, here's a different question. If Jesus would do a meal, who would he choose to eat with? If Jesus could choose to spend time around a table, a couple hours, three hours around a meal, who would that be? Mm, Let's go there. Luke chapter 5. His guest list is probably different than ours. Typically, even maybe when you think of of that guest list, that um, imaginary guest list, maybe you would think of people that you choose to invite them so you can get something from them. Greater understanding, glimpse into history, maybe some leadership lessons or some lessons on how to live well. You're getting something from them. It's interesting when Jesus did a meal, it was often what he could provide for them. Sometimes Jesus ate a meal where because he didn't have any food, and so he received the kindness of others. But in that, even that reception, he was there to offer something for them that they didn't have. It's interesting when you read through the book of Luke, if you've ever read through the gospel, it's interesting how many times Luke records Jesus around a meal. In fact, Luke in chapter 7 describes how Jesus came, and he quotes Jesus three times in the Gospels. It tells us why the Son of Man came. In Mark's Gospel, Mark records uh, this statement, the Son of Man came, this is Jesus' words, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's an interesting reason to come. He didn't come to get something from us, he came to serve us. Secondly, In Luke 19, it says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came on a mission. He had something to accomplish. There were people who were lost, that were estranged from their creator. And Jesus came to rescue them. But then Jesus is quoted in Luke chapter 7 by saying, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. Isn't that interesting? So the first two mention why Jesus came. The second one, Luke 7, mentions how Jesus came. Jesus came. How did he come? He came eating and drinking. There's much you can glean from that. And over these next few weeks, we're going to seek to glean those lessons of why did Jesus come specifically described as eating and drinking. With whom did Jesus eat? And maybe a second question, with whom does he want me to eat? Somebody mentioned it already, and if you heard them, you could probably just pack your things up and and leave because you heard the message today. (laughs) I'm just kidding, Joe, sit back down. (laughs) Joe's like, I'm going first in line at at the Flaming Grill to get my brunch. Right. Yep, there he goes, putting his coat on. There he goes. Jeez. No, hang on, Joe. Following Jesus means feasting with sinners. Think about that. If you follow Jesus, that means that you're going to spend time around the table with people that don't yet know God. 
Luke chapter 5, as Luke records in this orderly fashion, the works and the ways of Jesus, Luke chapter 5, he begins to describe how Jesus called his disciples to himself, the 12 disciples specifically. And the chapter begins by his at the sea, at the lake of Gennesaret, and he sees fishermen and he invites them to leave their nets and follow him. And he would make them fishers of men. And, and they did. They left their occupation. Something they saw or heard from Jesus compelled them to leave their security and follow this, this rabbi. And as they followed him, they saw him perform some amazing miracles of compassion. They heard some powerful words of instruction. That initial scene they saw was, in verse 12, it describes Jesus on his beginning of his journey through, through that region. He came to a man filled with leprosy, and Jesus healed him. That just wasn't done. Leprosy was one of those diseases that was kind of assumed to be terminal, and there's this big, long process of if you think you've been healed, you've got to go through because the assumption is it's probably going to take your life. And Jesus healed him. And then Jesus leaves that place, goes into a village and begins to teach. And the house began to be filled with people and so filled that these four guys brought this man who was paralyzed since birth and they brought him to Jesus because they believed he could heal them. But the crowd was so thick, they couldn't get this guy on his cot in. So they went up to the top of the house, removed the, the, the roof structure, and lowered him with cords down to Jesus, interrupting his teaching. And Jesus healed him. He tells this guy that has never walked to, to get up and walk. And he did. Verse 26 of Luke 5 says, And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God. What they saw in that very beginning scene of Jesus', Jesus life as an adult, as, as a person in ministry, they were amazed and glorified God at what they'd seen. And then we get to verse 27. This is where we're going to spend time today. Verse 27. Luke 5 says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Jesus said to Levi, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. So here we see Jesus beginning his ministry, looking for friends, and he finds sinners. He invites them to join. Jesus finds Sinners. Specifically, he finds Levi. Sometimes in Scripture and in Luke, he's called Matthew. He had the name Levi probably because he was from the tribe of Levi. So he was probably from a, a family of priests that through the generations, they served in the temple or in priestly duties scattered throughout the region of Israel. But Levi chose a different path. He chose not to, to follow in the ways of his family line and serve in the temple. He chose to be a tax collector. <laughs> That's quite different. 
A tax collector in those days wasn't somebody that worked specifically for the nation of Israel. It's not like our IRS. This is a person that worked for the Roman Empire. This person exacted taxes from the, from the land of Israel, from the, the Jewish people who were now occupied by the Roman Empire. And so in a sense, in a great sense, they were considered traitors to their people. These were the, the people that um, were able to earn a living not only from a wage from the Roman Empire, from the enemies, but also to charge a surtax on top of the Roman tax in order to pay their own expenses. So many of the tax collectors were considered deceitful, dishonest, and traitors. Because not only do I have to pay taxes to Rome, I got to pad your pockets. Because if I don't, you could raise my taxes even more. So they were, in a sense, in bondage to these traitors to their homeland. So just imagine that. Imagine being Levi's family with a deep lineage of preachers. And this kid chooses to go the exact opposite direction. And imagine Levi's surprise when he hears this rabbi coming to town, doing these incredible deeds, and hears the rabbi say to him, follow me. Jesus invites him to join this group of disciples. So, so imagine Matthew or Levi dropping his stuff, going to Jesus, and there's the fisherman who are no doubt taxed by tax collectors for the things that they harvested. Can't imagine that was, you know, the naturally formed friendship. And then if you go further, if you get to the next chapter where Jesus begins to list the 12 that he called to them, he not only lists these fishermen, but he also lists Simon the Zealot. Now a zealot was like the... The militia, those that were so concerned with the occupying forces that they believed how you get rid of the Roman occupation is through military means. That's a far cry from a tax collector that joined forces with the occupiers. And Jesus invited them all to his table to, to follow him. You see, Jesus didn't see Levi as a traitor. He didn't see Levi as a failed priest who turned his back on God. Jesus saw Levi as a lost son who needed to come home. And so he invites him to follow him. You see, this is one of the many revelations of God as seen through Jesus. Right? You understand that Jesus is the Son of God. And the Bible teaches in many places that Jesus was divine. He was fully God as he took on human flesh. Fully God, fully man. And the Bible says that, that God revealed himself through Jesus. As Jesus then demonstrated to mankind in mankind's language 
who God was. So much of what you learn about God can be seen through the life of Jesus. Here we go again. Jesus is showing who God is, showing his nature. Now, God had communicated this a number of times, that God has a heart for sinners. And some had misunderstood that and began to think that God desperately despises sinners unless they hopefully change and then he'll begrudgingly accept you. But that's never been God's way. We mentioned a couple weeks ago, remember in the, in the garden when Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God, then they hid from God. What did God do? God pursued them and looked for them because he wanted broken people to be restored. You can see this in the way that God sent Moses to rescue his people from slavery. And Moses did, brought them out to the wilderness and began to head to the promised land. And God said, hang on, there's something important we have to establish first. I want to be with you. I know you're messed up and you're broken. You rebelled against me. You can hardly be noticed as my people. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to help with that. So he told Moses to construct what's called a tabernacle or a tent of meeting. He gave him specific instructions for this tent of meeting, including a sacrificial process of cleansing where animals, innocent animals would be slaughtered on the people's behalf so that atonement can be communicated, sin can be covered so they could approach God. Because God says, I want to be with you. I know you're sinners, but, and I'm a perfect holy God, but I want to be with you. So I'll establish this atonement process so I can be with you. We just finished a study in Jonah and how God has a deep love for the people of Nineveh, the Assyrian Empire that had their own gods. They worshiped false gods, but God said, that's not what I created you to do. And so I'm going to send you this prophet. Yeah, he's racist. Yeah, he's got problems. But that's the people I use. I use people with issues. And so I'm going to send him to you to proclaim my good news so you'd repent. Because as God said through the prophets, I don't delight in the destruction of the wicked. I delight in their repentance. Because I want to be with my people. And here's Jesus saying, now if you miss this, if you missed what the prophet said, if you didn't catch that, and if you missed what Moses showed through the sacrifices and the tabernacle, if you missed that, if you missed, if you didn't pick up the clues that God was laying down for you when he pursued Adam and Eve and their sin, let me just say, this is what God does. He looks at the world, and he sees who's broken. I want to be with you. That's the people that I want to be with me. So Jesus, as he begins his mission, he finds sinners. So Levi accepts Jesus' invitation. He leaves his security. You know, this was a cush job that he had. His needs were met. He didn't struggle with poverty like so many of the people that he required taxes from. I mean, he had wealth. But in his wealth... He had no relationship with his creator. And so his loneliness led him to follow Jesus. So Levi entered Jesus' world. But it wasn't just that. Jesus entered Levi's world, as you'll see. Secondly, Jesus feasts with sinners. 
In verse 29, it says, Levi made Jesus a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of the tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. So here's Levi welcoming Jesus into his world, into this community of rejects. Because this happens in every culture. If you're rejected by a culture, you got to have your community. And so you tend to join community with other rejects, with other hated. And so Moses goes back to his circle of friends, the others that the community would look down on and says, hey, I'm going to have a party. I've met this guy. And he made such an impression on me, I'm leaving my job. I'm just going to follow him. And I want you to also. So Jesus enters Levi's world. But this pressed against the, the common mindset of the people in that land because they, they felt that in order to stay holy, you should separate from people that aren't. Right? In fact, the whole religious system was, was based on that. In some sense, it started out, in some sense, good. So the Pharisaical religious structure formed hundreds of years earlier when there was this movement to try to preserve the Jewish identity and the Jewish religion. And so the Pharisees, in an attempt to keep people from just moving into the culture of the pagan world, they established various laws that can be added to God's law to make sure you abided by God's law. Because they believed that we need to not only stay distant from sin, we need to stay distant from even being close to sin. And so let's get as far away as we can from anything dirty so we can stay clean. And then Jesus came and he began his ministry. He said to these fishermen, come follow me. And so they said, okay, we'll follow you. And the first place Jesus went was to a man where there's a, a place where there was a man with leprosy. Well, what do you do with someone with leprosy? Ah, unclean, you get away, right? You don't want to get that. What does Jesus do? He reaches out and touches the guy and says, you're healed. Completely destroyed this mindset of, of the Pharisees that says, when there's, when there's filth, get away lest you become filthy. Jesus said, the problem is you're all filthy. So does it really make sense for a filthy person to encounter filth and say, ah, I'm going to get away you're filthy. Be filthy here. Be filthy there. You're still filthy. So Jesus said, what you need is someone to clean you. And so I'll step into your filth and I will make you holy. I'll make you clean. That's what, that's what Matthew or Levi began picking up. That here's Jesus that says, tax collector, get away. No, Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, tax collector, come, come follow me and Levi says, well then, come to my house. Nobody ever comes to my house because I'm filthy. But you invited me close, so let me invite you close. Let my friends come. And Jesus stepped into their, to the table 
not worried about getting filthy, but instead consumed with this idea that now you have an opportunity to become clean. One of the problems that that some people have is this thought that, well, I know I'm broken and I, I failed God and I need to get my life cleaned up before I come to God. Well, don't... You're not picking that up from Scripture. You might be picking that up from religion, but you're not picking that up from the Word of God because God always takes the initiative and comes to the dirty and says, I just want to take you and now let me do the process of holiness and cleaning you up. You see, God's holiness isn't this this tender, fragile characteristic it's not god's holiness it's not like if god gets it's not like your white tennis shoes right that's the thing today is wear white tennis shoes right what does that mean joe you got white tennis shoes on no sort of right you don't want to get those tennis shoes clean i mean dirty right so you kind of stay away from from the dirt and if it's a rainy day you don't wear those white tennis shoes because you want it close close to dirt and sometimes people view holiness like that but that's not god's kind of holiness In fact, Hebrews chapter 12 describes holiness in this powerful way. Hebrews 12 says, It is a blazing fire, a tempest, and a trumpet blast. That's God's kind of holiness. You can't can't make it dirty. So God has the power to step in and to make filthy things clean. And Levi was so enthralled with that, he wanted to invite his friends to experience the same thing. You see, Levi didn't hear the message of Jesus, come and follow me. Oh, man, I had so much going for me. My my status of living was so much higher than everybody else. I got to give that up and follow Jesus. No, he said... You're inviting me to follow you? Well, that's time for a party. Let me invite my friends. Let's, let's have a party because he was finally filled with hope and joy and a destiny and a purpose. And so he celebrated that and invited people to join with him in it. And I wonder, as I read through this, I wondered, do we have that same spirit when we think of following Jesus? Or do we think this is going to cost me something? Yeah, it'll cost you filth. It'll cost you things that don't really gain much anyway. But think of what it provides you. I think we've gotten caught up with this idea that God is all about penance. Where if you come to him, he requires a penance or punishment for you to to earn time with him. It's such a shame because Jesus paid our penance. Now, how do we see penance today? Well, I believe I saw penance um, here this past summer. I was on a camping trip with my wife and up north, and we went to this beautiful place. Um, I think it's called Shrine in the Woods up north, and this is beautiful area of a place of worship that's been 
made and they had a beautiful structure for worship. But then out back, there was this outdoor amphitheater, which is breathtaking. And in, at the front is this huge hill and set up on top of the hill is this huge cross. And I, I, I stepped into that and thought, this is, this is spectacular. Out in God's beauty, the cross of Christ raised high to remind us of what Jesus has done. Even looking to the cross causes my head to look up to the sky. This is beautiful. And as we strolled around, I came to the foot of that hill. And there were steps leading up the hill. And then I saw the sign. And the sign said something to the effect of to ascend to the cross, you must crawl on your hands and knees up the 75 steps up to the cross. I thought, really? Is that, is that, is that what Jesus wants? He came to earth, paid for our sin, and then said, okay, folks, Get on your hands and knees. And if you can make it up these rough, hewn, concrete steps on your hands and knees, come crawling to me. That's not what I'm seeing in Matthew's experience. I see Jesus coming down to Matthew and saying, hop on my back. Let me carry you to the place where there's life and where there's joy. I see, I see penance. I saw it in Liberia, it, it, churches out in, in remote areas where, where men were beating themselves in their worship because they were communicating how rotten sinners they were. And my heart broke. I thought, no, God, if you place your faith in him, he's made you clean. We're done with that. Jesus was beaten for us. By his stripes, we are healed. This is the character of God in that he steps down and he feasts with us. Number three, we see Jesus fulfilling, or maybe you could use the word pursues his mission at the table. Luke 5.30, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, or I have not come to call people who think they're righteous, but I've come for sinners, leading them to repentance. Again, the Pharisees believed in salvation by segregation. Get away from evil. And Jesus said, no, I'm come to bring you salvation as a gift. Everyone's contaminated, but I can make you clean. So Matthew steps right into Jesus' mission. Jesus says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm coming to earth, and you're going to call me the guy that came eating and drinking. The context of that was Jesus was talking about John the Baptist. And he says, you know, John the Baptist was criticized. You know why? Because he didn't eat or drink anything. He ate locusts and honey. And so people said, dude, the guy's got a demon. He's possessed. Look what he eats. You're going to watch me, and you're going to see I'm a guy that eats and drinks. And you're going to say, oh, he's a glutton and a drunkard. The reality is, if you're going to close your mind to the things of God, 
you're going to accuse us of all kinds of things. But if your heart is open to what God has for you, you're going to embrace the Son of Man who's come eating and drinking with those that desperately need him. This is how Jesus fulfills his ministry. He comes to our earth, to a bunch of broken people, and says, come, follow me, and I'll make you my disciples. I'll cleanse you, I'll provide you a home in heaven, and we'll be together forever, forever because that's the heart of God, being with the people whom he created in his image. So some are here because... Somebody invited you. These aren't perfect people. These are people probably like Matthew or Levi. People with their own issues. But they've invited you because they've experienced something powerful. And so they've invited you in hopes that you'd, you'd see and you'd long for that same Savior in your life. It changed, he changed their lives. Maybe God wants to change yours. Some are here because your spouse or your parents. Some are here maybe because their kids want you to be here. And you, you, you've kind of kept it as a distance. You're, you're kind of willing to come into the house for the party. You just haven't decided to sit around the table yet. Just kind of keep it a distance to see, is it safe? Is this a good place to be? What's it going to cost me? And I've been, I've been praying, and I'll be praying as we go through this series, that, that that Spirit of God would work in your heart, and you would hear Him whisper your name to say, I have a place for you. Come to the table. Eat with me. Let me change your life, because it's only going to be good. It won't be easy. Jesus never said it's going to be easy to follow Him, but He's consistently said it's going to be good. It's going to be right. It will fill your heart with satisfaction. So I hope that today, if that's you, that you will say to him, okay, I'm in. I'm in. I'm done thinking that living as a, as in my own, fulfilling my own destiny, that that's, got to be, that's going to be anything good. I'm ready to accept yours. I allow you to cleanse me from my sin as I place my faith in Jesus who gave his life on the cross and rose from the dead to cleanse me from sin. Or maybe some of us would say, oh yeah, that's old news, I've done that. You know another place that I've seen penance is from the church of the sour-faced. <laughs> right? Where you just, you just got into this thought that, oh, following Jesus is hard. You can't have too much fun. Right? Anybody that has fun and enjoys things is probably missing something. And I'm thinking, come on. How many times does the scripture have to refer to living with him as dancing and wine and joy and feasts? For us to understand that he has abundant joy for us so let's embrace it. Let's look in the mirror once in a while to see where are the wrinkles. Are there smile wrinkles or are they frown wrinkles? What is, my, what is my common posture? Is it exuding the joy of Jesus? Or is it exuding penance? What has he done?
And maybe, just maybe, when we begin to experience the joy that God has brought to us, that we'll begin to think, this is so good, i got to share it. And maybe, from our series, as we look at the number of times, at least five of them, six of them, in, in this series, we'll look at Jesus around a meal. Instead of you thinking, so we need to set a program and do some things for people. We'll do this great big party and let everybody know how good. Maybe instead of that, you'll think, I'm just going to invite people over. I'm just going to have a meal. Because Jesus never had a great big thing. Well, the feeding of the 5,000, that was a pretty big thing. So if you think you can pull that off, maybe. But probably not. I would, I would suggest maybe his common method of ministry was to live through life, be willing to sit down at table with a meal over normal people that need a savior and to spend time with them. As Tim Chester, the author of, of that book, A Meals with Jesus, simply put, have an authentic, deep love for Jesus and share a meal with someone and you'll be on mission. Deeply love Jesus, not just something you do on a Sunday, but deeply love him with all of your heart. Spend time with people and watch the joy of Jesus become contagious. Father, I pray that you would help us walk with you. Thank you, Lord. On behalf of all of us Levi's, all of us tax collectors and sinners, thank you for your willingness to step into our world to dine with us. Thank you for your cleansing that you initiated to us, Lord, for giving us the faith to, to be placed in you and what you've done. Thank you for our salvation. And Lord, if there are any here that, that don't yet know you, they've never responded to your invitation to follow you, may today be that day when they say, I'm in. I want to follow him. I want to experience all that he has for me. May this be their day, Lord. And those of us that have chosen to follow you, I pray that we would remain faithful to serve your people as you've served us. To be willing to come alongside with people that don't yet know you, to enjoy time with them, believing, Lord, that the holiness you've given to us will be strong and will keep us clean. And Lord, your glory can be expressed to others. So may we be people that follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.